Welcome to another episode of the Icarus Idea. In this episode, we're going to talk about some serious stuff regarding our role as a designer in our society. So keep listening. Hi, you're listening to the Icarus Idea. My name is Maida and I'll be hosting this episode with my co-host Rowan. Today, we want to explore our role as a designer in our society with respect to some major changes. So let's get right into it. Ryan, can you please introduce our guest? Uh, yes, Maya, of course I can. Our next guest has been uh, in the field of design for quite a while. Uh, he finished his uh, studies at the TU Delft in 1988 and started one of the first digital design agency, agencies, Fabrique, in 1992. And he was uh, also a professor of concept design at the faculty of IDE in Delft, and also a member of several supervisory boards uh, and committees across the design sector. Welcome, Jeroen van Er. Uh, how are you doing? Yes, I'm doing fine. But I have to correct one thing. Uh, I started, uh, I was one of the founders of Fabrique in 1992, but we didn't start as a digital agency. Because in 1992, nobody had ever heard of the World Wide Web. And there were some That's people true. dealing with uh, CD-ROMs, but... We are a multidisciplinary design agency, a strategic design agency, with a strong focus on digital. But we do yeah. also other stuff. Quite a broad spectrum of, uh, of different assignments throughout the whole uh, sector, of course. Uh, but yeah. we're quite interested in also the, the especially now the focus, of course, uh, in the with the digital uh, service design, which brings us, I think, to our first question, uh, Maya. So, as Rowan said, you finished your studies in 1988. To just paint a picture for our listeners, what kind of a world did you start working in? Like, what was the professional landscape? Um, in 1988, I graduated and uh, roughly there were um, a few design agencies. Uh, there were industrial design agencies, there were graphic design agencies, communication design agencies, advertising agencies, uh, but they were all small and um, things like uh, words and constructions like startups, uh, it didn't yeah. exist. I did my internship at Total Design in uh, Amsterdam, and that was a very renowned design agency, uh, one of the biggest in the world, and they employed around 30 people. And together with Pentagram in London and New York, they were thought leaders of especially graphic design, communications design. And of course, there were industrial design agencies like Frog. They also did all the work for Apple at that moment. Also pretty renowned, but not that big. And when I graduated, there was, um, it was in the, the late 80s, the dark, the dark 80s, as I always uh, call it. I was optimistic about becoming a designer, but I didn't have high hopes. I didn't have uh, large ambitions because that was not realistic. But yeah. what was interesting is I did my internship at a graphic design agency while I was an industrial design student. So what I realized is that also already then um, designers were stuck in their silo. I loved to, uh, to bridge uh, the gaps between the silos. So I I was already a cross-disciplinary designer before I ever heard the word cross-disciplinary. Before it became hip. Before it became hip. So that's why in, in 92, um, Fabrique was started as a 
multidisciplinary design agency. We did spatial design, industrial design, hardcore industrial design, you know, uh, like uh, designing extrusion molds, uh, etc. We did graphic design, uh, we designed uh, uh, identities and so on. And that was an interesting proposition because it, it didn't exist. And there was a moment that the head of Total Design, who I knew very well, came to me and said, yeah, to be honest, we are called Total Design, but you are doing it. So that was a big compliment. Yeah. And we started with the three of us, were two more in, in a few months. So we were with five people and we were really happy with it. We, we did okay. We did nice projects. We worked for Schiphol Airport. We worked for municipalities and so on. But then in 1994, something happened that um, um, I had a client and we designed an identity for him. And I said, Alfred, what would you like us to make? You want stationary? You want... No, no, no. I said, I would like to have a website. I said, great. We're going to make a website for you. But what is a website? I didn't have a clue. <laughs> we didn't have a clue. So he explained me everything about the World Wide Web. He brought us in contact with a small company that knew everything about HTML programming. And we started working immediately for big clients like Fiat, uh, ABN Amro, and so on. And before I knew, I did the one thing of which my father always told me, don't do this. <laughs> I hired people, I hired people. <laughs> So I had to hire people. We had too much work. So in 1994, I signed the first contract with an employee. So we were with the six of us and an intern. So that's seven. And in 1999, we were, were with 30. And we did a lot of really nice digital projects for big clients. And, and at the same time, we saw that all the other assignments also became bigger you know we did we got bigger in product design assignments we got bigger identity design assignments we got everything became bigger and much bigger than i could ever imagine when we started uh, fabrique yeah i did some uh, really into the design of the of the period it's also a little bit more of a transition between uh like the, the simple form follows function towards the uh, form follows emotion and uh, the start of like design, designing the, as a brand, so to speak. Is this also something you recognize? Yeah, yeah, I recognize it very much. Now, there were two things. Uh, of course, there was this form follow function movement, but one of the gaps in my uh, education was the fact that um, we weren't trained about brands. We weren't trained about the meaning of products and services. And the big turn in my head came when in 1999, we got Albert Heijn as a new client. And they gave us all their digital work, all. Um, and it, it was a huge assignment and I had to hire extra people. But when I was in meetings with Albert Heijn, I realized that, that a quarter of all the words they used I didn't have a clue. It was all about branding, positioning, and so on. So I thought, I have to read the books these guys have read. So I started reading all everything about brands and understood that, okay, as a designer, I was always trained that 
the experience of what you design, so the functionalities, is what people buy. But that's not true. People buy a lot of meaning, you know. I mean, I mean, um, it's much more about uh, a sum up of functionalities. It's much more. And it's also the other way around. Designing a product for uh, company A results in a different product in a product for company B, while they maybe have the same function. So taking the desired evoked emotions or experience as a starting point became really hip and happening in uh, especially in the first decade of this century and ux emerged from that uh, i was also involved in a um, movement called the design and emotion society where companies designers and researchers came together to develop knowledge about emotions and experiences and that was really, really very interesting. And that that changed also the profession uh, uh, radically. And how would you say that, uh, how, how did it change the profession, uh, would you say? You, you know, the internet has a lot of side effects that were not foreseen. And one of these side effects for our profession is that um, before the internet, you could design something, put it on the market, and it was unique. Yeah. And if it was not unique, you didn't know, because the world was not transparent as it is now. But now, let's give an example. With a few clicks, you can see all the cars in the world, and you can see the similarities and the differences. So if you are designing a new car, and uh, you want to make it different, then you know what to do, more or less. But if you do something that is new, that adds, adds something to this variety, people will pick it up and steal it. So the effect is that all products tend to commoditize continuously and are more or less the same. So what is important is that the product itself and the story around it becomes one experience. And a good example is I, I am a Apple client since 1990. So that's 32 Quite a while. years. <laughs> 32 years. But when I bought my first Apple, I was the ghostwriter. You know, I asked people, the guy is mad. Why is he buying an Apple? And now I'm saying I was not the ghostwriter. I was changing the direction of how we drive, you know. Um, yeah. But the thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm an Apple guy. So... I believe in what they are. Uh, I believe in the products. I I think they're great people. Uh, I love the heritage, and I think I have the best mobile phone in the world. Deep down, deep down, it's not true. If I see what Samsung is doing, and, and I think, oh my God, these are also pretty cool, you know. But that doesn't. I, I will never go to Samsung. I stick to my iPhone, and these are emotions. I mean, if if it's a simple sum of functionalities, maybe Samsung wins. But but yeah. is that the um, emotion kind of collaborating with the experience that they make for you, or is that the emotion towards the brand? Because those it's two the, can be separate. No, it's the brand. It's the um, but you know, because I'm a professional, I can reason how to separate this for a lot of people it's one thing yeah yeah for a lot of people it's one thing 
Yeah, that's interesting. My um, uh, former colleague at the TU Delft, uh, Peter de Smet, he's, he's, he's a top-notch professor in the field of emotions. And he did a very interesting research. He, he had, I think, 30 pair of Nike sneakers research. And people were asked what they thought of the sneakers and did they like them and so on. Blah, 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 blah. And they came on top notch, great sneakers, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Then he removed the logos of all these sneakers and then did the research again. Totally different, totally different. Same shoes, totally different experience. So that's very present in the world. And what I think is interesting is the other way around. If, if I have to design something, it is in 93% of the cases, it is brand identity or purpose driven. Yeah. So then it is the challenge how to express the brand through the interaction with the product. While for instance, all functionalities behind it are not that different. So that's why um, this year we designed the website for the Lowlands Festival for the 25th time. And strictly, the website for the Lowlands Festival has exactly the same functionalities as the one from Pinkpop. Exactly the same. Yeah. No difference, not at all. But the total experience is totally different. How it looks, how it feels, and how it interacts, and how you get confused in the Lowlands website eh? on purpose. Eh? And... Um, so, and that's yeah. and that's interesting. I like that also. And of of course, you should really dive deep into what a company wants and the functionality, and it should all work and and so on. But nevertheless, I have a, another concern by the question regarding, for example, the example of um, Nike shoes. We've been taught that people are really driven by identity and emotion in school, and we know it as designers, but to what extent it is okay to take advantage of this? I mean, you just said that if a Nike shoes is without a logo, nobody might be satisfied with it. And I can understand why, but doesn't, doesn't this make it harder for smaller um, designers, for smaller institutions to be known if other companies, if other design institutes, um, studios, they are manifesting this brand identity in the world. I think you should make a difference between how well known a company is and how people, how many people know it and the way in which a brand appeals to you. And history tells us that new brands keep on popping up all the time because one way or another, they know how to, to touch the hearts in a different way. So that's why it's so important as a brand that you uh, don't offer only a sum up of functionalities, but also a story or intentions behind it that touch the heart. So that's, and that's what I always say. I mean, and of course you're right. Some brands take advantage of this. True. Yeah, so myself just taking the the, the, the functionality of the product as a starting point, you always have you create a meaningful, con, uh, a meaningful connection through yeah. the story. And, uh... Yeah. But that brings so much problem because I can fake it 
and make a fake experience for a customer and charge them thousands of euros for that fake experience and shape their behavior with no information in the background. Like I can give you an iPhone, which is not an iPhone, let's say it's an, I don't know, a banana brand, but creating the same experience ah. as but it's not ethical. It no, 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 but, but that, no, but that's a crime. How is that a crime? If no. I'm not hurting anybody. No, you're not allowed I'm... to uh, to to sell to sell an iPhone which is not an iPhone. No, but I I meant more like experience, so people get the same association with the iPhone. Yeah, but, but that's okay. Realize. But no, no, but that's it's okay. It is so incredibly difficult. To, to copy a brand's DNA. Because a good brand, an effective brand, is trustworthy in everything what they do. So you feel feel it when it's fake, when it's not right, when it's exaggerating, or when it's overpromising, or when uh, the values they have are not in sync with your values. That, that's the interesting thing. The, that's why I say a brand should touch the hearts. And in most cases, your feelings don't let you down. Yeah. What about gut feeling as a user then? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, ex try it, experiment with it. It's super difficult. That's why, that's why a lot of brands kick off with a very authentic stance towards uh, the world. And from... That moment on, it develops and so on. But you see, you see what this, in, this interesting. What you're saying, it touch, it touches the uh, the importance of values. What you see is that companies who didn't take care of nurturing or monitoring uh, the values of the culture of the company, they get in, they 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 get in deep trouble. That's what you see happening with Facebook. I mean. Mark Zuckerberg has a value set which is not in sync anymore with a lot of his customer clients, how do you call it? A lot of people who are on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. You see, and that's, and, that's, and that's a big problem because he's, you feel he's cheating. You feel that he's selling your data and you feel that it's, it's um, something's wrong. Yeah, unless you just go to like uh, get it a little bit back towards the the topic. <laughs> yeah, because we've talked about a little bit about the, the yeah the, the changing role of the designer or, or like how you started uh, and you know, about the changing technology and the rise of the tech, uh, the, the websites and the more the UX design and the and the, the, the whole brand and user experience. Um, how would you say that the role of the designer has changed throughout the 90s and uh, yeah, the early zeros um, at, at right now? Okay, what is, um, that's an interesting question. When we started in 92, we wanted uh, to have nice jobs for nice clients for, for nice money. We didn't have high ambitions or high hopes of uh, changing the world or whatever. And it was all about designing, let's say, products or services, smaller things. But um, due to the development of the World Wide Web and the increasing digitalization, uh, something emerged 
from this, and these were product service systems. Let me give you an example. My mother, she buys Dauer Egbert's coffee, and she has a Philips coffee machine. And she does this already for uh, 70 years. Yeah. And it's interesting to realize that uh, neither Philips nor Dauer Egbert's has a clue who my mother is. She's one of the most faithful clients ever because she's anonymous. If you see how coffee is consumed now, it's totally different. I'm, I'm a Nespresso fan. So I have Nespresso at home. We have Nespresso at the studio. And Nespresso knows everything about my coffee use. They, they warn me, hey, isn't it time to clean your machine? And uh, did you ever try this or whatever? So I'm... Aren't you drinking too much coffee right now? Aren't you drinking too much coffee right now? Yeah. <laughs> now, but the interesting thing is I'm, in, I'm continuously in contact with Nespresso in, in many ways. So I have a soft lock-in in the product service system Nespresso offers me. And there you see a lot of things. It's the coffee, the, the machines, uh, the retail, uh, sometimes the commercial or other communications. And it's one experience. And here we come back to the discussion we had before. Of course, um, Nestle, who's the owner of Nes uh, Nespresso uh, brand, mm -hmm. thought very carefully of this total experience. And everything is designed with this total experience in mind. And that's extremely interesting. Um, so these product service systems are becoming more and more the default than uh, separate products or services not connected. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's a interesting challenge for designers to participate in this because you have to think more strategically. You have to think more from um, the system point of view instead of only the product or the website or whatever. So everything is entangled. Yeah. And, I, and, and that changed, changes our profession radically, but it has also a huge influence on, uh, on for instance, uh, researchers. I mean, it's for researchers more and more the challenge not to research a little part of design, but to look at the bigger picture. The whole life, product life cycle. Yeah. 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 So, but that's, that's, and, I, and what I like about these um, developments is that there is a bigger responsibility and a bigger task for designers out there to participate in this. And it's also changing the profession because in the, in the 80s and the 90s, uh, you got an, an assignment, you did the assignment, uh, got back to the client, presented what you did, and that was it. But now things are part of a continuum. And the continuum is that a bigger team continuously works on a product service system. And it's not only designers from a design agency. No, uh, also the designers, the strategists, the copywriters, uh, the programmers for, uh, yeah. on client side. So there is the gap there was between a client and an agency is completely gone. So, and, and that's interesting because that's, um, that asks for a different stance, a different 
way of listening, a different way of interacting, a different way of taking responsibility, and so yeah. on. Uh, everything is more connected, if I understand correctly. In, yeah. Like, uh, in the past, you would just design a product and give it to, here it is, and uh, yeah, and bye-bye. Bye-bye yeah. products. Yeah, see you again. <laughs> yeah. And now it's more of a continuous loop, and you're, as a designer, you don't, know, don't necessarily design the product itself, but the whole picture around it and the services attached to it, and you mm -hmm. continuously keep on designing it, even if it's... Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not... It's not so much that you as a designer design this. No, you're part of a bigger team uh, that works on a, a bigger system that continuously needs care and has to change. I always say the designer is dead. Long live the design team. <laughs> it's so weird. We keep on talking about the designer as if it's some kind of God that looks down on the world and says we should do this and this. It's, no, it's, <clears throat> it's different. It's really interesting that you mentioned that about um, the, this quality in designers, because what I wanted to ask you was that in the article that you wrote for Fabric, Hack the yeah. System, yeah. Um, you wrote, and I quote, we are too far, far too um, self-absorbed, something that is deeply ingrained in the DNA of our profession. How do you think this individualism is affecting the um, way that us designers, we approach towards, for example, climate change? Because now it's like a heat up um, topic for everybody. And like in Dutch Design Week, we saw that so many people are really trying to solve the problem. Yeah, but they try to solve the problem from their individual viewpoint so what they see and and what they what they can do and what they think their circle of influence is but you should rise higher high above your individual stance and start collaborating and look at the bigger picture and start thinking of how can we make interventions in this system that nudge the system of or contribute to changing the system into the right direction. And I mean, that during Dutch Design Week, you see a lot of interesting and charming solutions, but they're not that impactful. And that's a pity. And also these designers are also, they are on their own and they are addressed individually. And if you look at the Design Academy, the graduation show of Design Academy, it's, it's all individuals and they all do charming little things while they could have done much more interesting things when they would have collaborated and be critical towards yeah. each other and so on and and also embrace complexity and also dive deep into technology and so on but it's they don't do this because they are how do you call it assessed individually so they keep all on the little islands yeah. So how do we change this? We should change the whole educational system on grading individually and do yeah. the teamwork? No, I think you should still grade people individually, but maybe more on the basis of what they can contribute to a team than uh, what they can do on their own. And that's something okay. else. Yeah. So let's dive into the last question. What would your advice be for ID students who are graduated or about to graduate? I think as, as, as fresh graduates, I think it's really important to gain a lot of experience first, 
to see how it works, to experience how clients uh, or commissioners talk, to see what the dynamic of a project is, so to learn from it, but at the same time to be very, very critical and ask questions uh, why things are going like they are going. And I think being critical and being aware of the values you stand for is is really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. Yeah, and and also and and also and that's a difficult thing. I mean, you can go for short-term solutions and short-term money, but you can also go for long-term uh, solutions and um, and lo- yeah, I will say long, not long-term money. Um, yeah, and don't be in it for the money. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Fair. It's a it's a passion as well. No, I think a passion a passion is a big. Yeah, maybe it's a passion. Yeah, (laughs) of course you should have passion. No, but there's a big difference. You should have the courage also to say no to assignments. I think if um, the Primark should approach us, we would say no. Yeah, because of the whole background, Primark itself then. Yeah, Primark, because it's incredibly low prices, which can only be explained that somewhere in the world you're exploiting people. Yeah. As simple as that. Or otherwise, show it to me. Be completely transparent. Same goes for the action. But yet Primark is by creating nice experiences for people. Every single day, thousand people shop from them. So they are doing the thing that hiding behind creating nice experience for their customers while they have nothing of value to offer to them. Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, they defend themselves by saying... Yeah, hey, but we we are able to bring to the market nice products for very low prices, so it's affordable for everybody. But to what cost? To what cost? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I think it's time to. (laughs) Yeah, it's getting too sad. Um, let's wrap it up because we don't also have time. So you listener, make sure that you put away your ego and work as a team and learn to collaborate and gain a lot of, lot of experience. Also, as usual, if you have any comments for us, don't forget to DM on Instagram or send us an email. Thank you, Jeroen, for being here. We really enjoyed talking to you and thank you for listening. You're welcome. We're welcome. Thank you very much. much. The pleasure was mine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye.